Well, would you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 5? Our text this morning will be verses 1 through 10. We were introduced last Sunday to the theme of Christ as our high priest and our great high priest. We continue to see that theme all the way through chapter 10. And this morning we begin to look at the attributes and the characteristics of a priest and the priestly system itself. And specifically what we see this morning in the text, just to give you an idea, is we see the priesthood in Israel compared to the priesthood of Christ. And so you think about when you're comparing two things and you have two columns, and then column one describes the one and the other column describes the other. And you can see by laying those two columns out next to one another, the differences, the similarities between the two things. And so this morning, that's what the text does, is on the one hand, it lays out the Aaronic priesthood, that is Aaron, the brother of Moses and his priesthood. And then in the other column, if you could think about it, we see the priesthood of Christ. Largely, I think there's a great misunderstanding today in our culture and how we think and what we think of what a priest is. Just this last week, I was joking with some of my friends that are, are not Christians, and they said, you know, it's really good that we can joke with a priest. Well, I'm not a priest, And I had to explain that to him. I'm a pastor. I don't stand before God on behalf of anyone. I I, I may pray on behalf of others, but I can do that just as you can pray on behalf of me. I'm I'm not a priest. And so there's a misunderstanding of that. And so what we actually begin to see here is what a priest is and what a priest does And in that scene, what a priest is, and we look at the earthly priesthood of Aaron, and we see that that was just pointing to a greater priest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is supposed to be a means of comfort for us when you think about what a priest did to go before God on behalf of people. That's a comforting thing, to know that there's a man that can go before God on my behalf. That's comforting. And so we see the beauty of the gospel in that the Lord Jesus Christ is actually our priest that goes before God on our behalf. He is our great high priest. So with that, let us hear the word of God, beginning in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, "'You are my son.'" Today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God, and may he bless the reading of it. And the first thing I want you to know, the first characteristic or attribute of a priest is a priest is chosen among men. And you see that in beginning in the first verse where it says, For every high priest chosen from among men. So in order to be a priest, you have to be a man. Now that may seem like an, an obvious statement, but uh, maybe it wouldn't be. An angel doesn't represent us as a priest, but a man was chosen. And here's why. Because one to represent us, he had to be acquainted with us. You think of the very first priest that's um, ordained by God, that's set aside by God, it was Aaron. Aaron knew the struggles of man. Aaron knew what it was like to live as an Israelite. Aaron knew what it was like to have a law given to him and to try to follow that law. He understood what it was like to be man. And so therefore, Aaron was an an appropriate priest to act on behalf of man. He knew what made man tick. He knew what made man uh, struggle. He knew the temptations of man. He was acquainted with being man because Aaron was a man. And so in order to be a priest, you have to be a man. You have to be appointed by God. And so what is the beauty of this is this, is that in order to have a high priest that could actually accomplish salvation on behalf of people, God himself becomes man. The Messiah became man. The priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ was work as and is work as a man. The Lord Jesus Christ represents His people even right now as a man. And so to be a high priest, to be a priest, you must share in human nature. If there's to be a true representation to take place, and this must take place by one that is a man. And you notice in verse 7, here's our contrast, in the days of His flesh. So what did we see in verse 1? A high priest must be a man, but then you see in verse 7, Jesus is what? Man, in the days of his flesh. That is that he took on flesh on our behalf. We see in Galatians chapter 4, in verse 4, this wonderful truth is this, is that but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, What do we celebrate next Sunday? We celebrate the Lord's Day, right? But it just so happens to be when we celebrate the birth of Christ as well. We celebrate Galatians 4.4. We celebrate Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 that in the days of His flesh, that He took on flesh, that God became man to be a priest for mankind. And so when we speak of the priesthood of Christ, this is speaking of His work of mediation in the flesh, and specifically His work of mediation upon the cross and His continued work now that He has done. Just think about this for a second, though. 
Think about the condescension that God would take on flesh and all that comes with flesh. Aaron did not take on a nature foreign to himself. Aaron was born man. Aaron was man. And all of the children of Aaron that were also priests were man. They didn't take on something foreign to them. But God, who is spirit that is eternal, that is all-powerful, that is not limited by space or time, takes on flesh. Did you know the flesh could not contain and could not be... uh, could not contain the fullness of God in one sense, and this is that God is still omnipotent, God is still everywhere, but yet Jesus is still fully God? It's a mystery. But God would take on flesh and all that comes with flesh on our behalf. What a wonderful truth and what a wonderful reminder. And this is the reminder we need to be reminded of this morning is that God would take on flesh on behalf of His own people. So if there ever becomes a question of, does God love me? How could God love me? Just remember this, is that God took on flesh and in the days of His flesh performed the work of a priest on your behalf. There's no greater condescension that has ever taken place. And that great condescension is the greatest means of our comfort to know that God did that for me in the days of His flesh. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. What a merciful high priest we have, don't we? That he would take on flesh. The next attribute is that we see is an attribute of mediation. Still, in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf half of men in relation to God. In other words, a priest was to be a go-between between God and man. He was to act on behalf of men in relation to God. This is what a priest does. This is the function of a priest. He's to represent a select people before God. The priest doesn't represent every single human being, but he represents those that he is assigned to. Christ represents those that he has been given to him, and he represents them. Now you have to ask this question, how can man approach God? Well, it was through a priest. That was the only way. That was how God designed it, is that there would be one that would stand before and on behalf of the people, so that relationship with God could, be, could happen. Why is that? Well, if you remember in the Garden of Eden, what was the relationship of Adam and Eve with God? They daily walked and fellowshiped with God with free access to God. There was no need of an in-between They just freely walked with God. Adam is the king. 
and the prophet and the priest of the Garden of Eden had free access and communion with God. But what happened? Well, they decided to sin against God. Sin entered into the world. God is holy. God is just. And if God is holy and God is just, then he cannot accept sin. There became a barrier that got put in place because of sin. Sin is the barrier. Sin is what creates the infinite gap between us and God. So God says in his mercy, God says in his grace, I'll make a way for you to come into my presence. I'll make a way for you to have restored to you what was lost in Adam. And I'll do it this way, is through a priesthood. Through these series of things, if a priest will do these things, then you will have access. And here's the beauty of this. This shows us the gracious nature that God would provide a means of mediation. Not only in the Old Testament did He provide a means of mediation, but we, and we see that in the sacrificial system, but more beautifully, that in Christ, that Christ who acts on behalf of man opens the way. What tore from uh, top to bottom while Christ was on the cross? The curtain. And the curtain separated the people from God. Christ tears the curtain. Christ is the one who makes open fellowship with God possible. Why can I approach God? Because of what Christ has accomplished. This is why Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why do I not need a priest? Because I have a great high priest. I don't have to go between, go to any other man of my like stature. I can go to Christ. I go to Christ, and Christ opens the way to the throne room. This happened in the Old Testament by offering gifts and sacrifices for sins. You see that in verse 1. They acted on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now we know, Hebrews later tells us, that, that the blood of bulls and goats cannot actually take away sin. Those were pointing towards Christ, but that's what the priest did. That was the priestly duty, was to offer sacrifices for sin. So again, what are we confronted with? We have a sin problem. We have a sin problem that requires a blood sacrifice. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They tried to cover themselves with leaves. But God covers them with animal skins. What was that? A blood sacrifice that God himself provided atonement for covering that they could be in fellowship with him. So there was a blood sacrifice. God is holy. God is just. And if God did not punish sin, then he would neither be holy 
nor just. We look back and we, we see in others and we see in the Old Testament and we see in the New Testament, yeah, they, they're sinners and I, I might mess up, but we just don't really think of ourselves as sinners. But we are. And our sins separate us from God. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, you would have been constantly reminded of your sinfulness because the priests in the Old Testament were basically butchers. You read about during the day of, of Passover, what it would have been like in Jerusalem. The blood and all of that from the animal sacrifices taking place. It's beyond our imagination. But every time I sin, and every year I have to go to a priest and see this animal that is going to supposedly take away my sins be butchered in front of me. That's a very visual, vivid visual of sin and the effects of sin. So the people were constantly uh, faced with that, that they were sinners that required this sacrifice of an animal. That constant reminder, it tells me constantly I'm I'm a sinner and that I need a means of pain for that sin. If you look in Leviticus in chapter 4, Let me just read you this passage. In verse 1 it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally. Did you know there are unintentional sins? Well, if it's an unintentional sin, should I be held accountable for that? Well, look at In any of the Lord's commandments, if they were unintentional, in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done, and, and does any one of them, if it is anointed, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. Unintentional sin, I slaughter a bull. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull, which is picturing this transfer of sin onto the bull, and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meaning. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. That is what God required for His people that when they sinned, that that would take place. Again, we, we, we don't experience that. That would be a constant reminder Not only, though, as we saw even here in Leviticus 4, was that on behalf of the people, that was also on behalf of the priest himself. In fact, in verse 3 of Hebrews, it tells us that the priest himself is beset with weakness and that he himself is guilty of sins. If you look at Leviticus chapter 16, 
It says this, Aaron shall present the bull, this is the Day of Atonement, once a year, where the Holy of Holies is entered. The most important day in the religious circle for religious cycle for Israel, the Day of Atonement. It says, And Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. Why? Because Aaron was a sinner. He was a priest on behalf of the people, but he was a sinful priest. And before he could do what it says in verse 15, he had to do all of this for himself. Verse 15, he then shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people. So before he could even get to the people that he's supposed to represent, that he's, he's standing on behalf of, he has to go through this whole entire process himself because of his own sin, because of his own weakness. As again, as it says, because he was obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. In verse 2 it says, He himself is beset with weakness. That idea of being beset with weakness, sometimes the word is translated uh, like this, is it for a millstone that is hung around the neck. His weakness was hung around his neck. It it surrounded him. The priest could not escape from his weakness. The, the, The priest could not get away from his sinfulness. He was acquainted with sin because he was a sinful person. Weakness surrounded him. Sin surrounded him. That was the priest. But what did we read of Jesus? When we read this of Jesus, is in verse 15 of chapter 4, is that one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but yet without what? Without sin. In other words, Jesus did not have to offer a sacrifice for himself. Do you think about that? What if the priest wasn't sincere in offering that sacrifice for himself and his sinfulness? What if the priest's heart wasn't right before God when he stands on behalf of the people? Would that make you unsettled? If you were, if you were depending on this worship experience and this communion with God and forgiveness of sins on a priest, you were, you were dependent upon that priest, would that not make you a little bit nervous about the condition of the heart of the priest? So if we have in our column, A, Aaron, the priest, he was a sinful priest. And if we look at Christ, we have one that was without sin. Now, what did Christ offer up? Look at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard 
because of his reverence. Jesus, we see, offered up prayers, tears, supplications. Notice what it says to save him from death. And the Father heard him. Now you think, wait, we confess that Christ died. What does it mean from death? Well, the preposition there from probably should be out of. The resurrection. He was brought forth from death, out of death. The Father resurrected him. That is this, is Jesus doesn't offer for his sins. He offers his sinless body that knew no sin, but became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin on behalf of his people. He offers himself. He is that spotless, without blemish, sacrifice. And the Father vindicates him, hearing him, hearing his cries, hearing his tears, raises him from the dead. The whole point is this. Jesus is qualified as a priest, and he became qualified through suffering. Suffering that he had not known in eternity. You see this in verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You see, the problem with the Old Covenant sacrificial system is, and we've already seen this, is that neither goats nor bulls being sacrificed could save anybody. Those were to point us forward and to be a constant reminder of a perfectly sufficient sacrifice. This is why when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he declared, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, says that is the sacrifice. That is our Passover lamb. So Christ, as our high priest, presents the sacrifice, and that sacrifice is him presenting himself. Christ did not have to offer for himself. Rather, he offered himself as the sacrifice. And the road to the cross prepared him for that priesthood. How great is our high priest? How great is our Lord Jesus Christ that would suffer on our behalf? That he would meet the qualifications of priesthood to be chosen among men voluntarily and offer himself up to save his people. And he did it with joy. His suffering, his, his, his pain, all that he endured, the joy of the cross was before him. 
He did this on behalf of his people. That he would suffer on our behalf. And this actually helps us. Calvin says this, and what application is to be made of this? He says, even this, that whenever our evil presses upon us and overwhelm us, we may call to mind the Son of God who labored under the same, and since he has gone before us, there is no reason for us to faint. The suffering that we endure in this life, it's momentary. And Christ reminds us of that. The glory that he had in eternity was restored to him. We're reminded of that when we look to Christ. We're also reminded that Christ can help us when we're going through suffering because he experienced it. The problem is is that usually when I suffer, I deserve it. Christ didn't. But yet he's compassionate and merciful to his people. It says that he, we read that he learned obedience. What what does that mean? That he learned obedience. Well, he learned obedience through doing the will of God. In Isaiah 50, in verse 5, it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, where it says this, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. That's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was obedient to the will of the Father. But look what this results in. In verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. So here's what this text is saying that the Lord Jesus Christ will do, and this is what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He's obedient to the will of the Father, And that brought him to suffering. Following his father's will led him to suffering and shame. He did this willingly and he did this with joy. Did you know that following in the steps of Christ and being obedient to the will of of God invites suffering into your life? That you will bear shame by following God? Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. It's actually Christ's obedience to the will of Father that brought suffering to him. It was his obedience to the Father's plan that led him to the cross. And the same thing goes with us, is that when we're obedient to the will of God, it actually, yes, we are blessed by it. Yes, there is joy in it. And yes, I I couldn't think of a better way to live, but it does mean that suffering comes along with that. Misopportunity comes along with that. Pain can come along with that. It can accompany obedience. Especially as you live in a society that continues to push God's word further and further away. Obedience to God's word comes with a price. If you don't believe it, then look to the cross. Because that is one that followed the will of God perfectly and it got him hung upon a tree. says, in being made perfect, 
through this process. What does that mean? He was the perfect son of God. And Calvin understands this as meaning this, is that this was him being set apart for that or sanctified for that. In fact, Jesus says in his high priestly prayer of John 17, verse 19, For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. That is, Jesus says, For their sake I sanctify myself. That is, being made perfect. I mean made sanctified on behalf of the people. So what does the high priest do? The high priest offers something on behalf of the people. Our Lord and Savior, He doesn't offer a bull or a goat on our behalf. He offers Himself. The next characteristic of a priest is this. They must be, they must be sympathetic towards people. You'll see this is this, is that not only was Aaron beset with weakness, it says this, as he says in verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Why was Aaron able to deal gently with sinners? Because he understood sin. Aaron understood the weakness in our fallen nature. Aaron and all of his children that were in the priesthood understood this. They knew how to deal gently with people. And dealing gently with people means this, is dealing with them in restraint when one is in rebellion against you. And specifically, it it, it targets ignorant, that is those unintentional sins, and wayward sins, those are that open rebellion. He's able to deal with people gently because of those things. What does it mean to deal gently with people? Well, I think of Moses providing this example for us is what it means to deal gently with people. It's amazing because uh, the people opposed Moses, his own brother and sister. We read in Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. He shows his meekness, he shows his gentleness, is that when he's opposed by his own brother and sister, what happens is, Both Aaron and Miriam are struck by God. And you know what happens? Is Moses, instead of allowing them to just suffer, this is what we read of Moses. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. Please. That's what it means to deal gently with sinners is when they're in rebellion to still plead on behalf of God for them. Now Aaron could do this. Moses could do this because they were, they were both sinful people and every priest was a sinful person so they're able to deal gently with people because they themselves were sinners. They know what it's like to sin against others. 
They knew about sins intentional and unintentional. They were able to restrain themselves. Moses was able to restrain himself. And this is why we're told he was the most humble man that ever lived. Because he knew himself was guilty. There's quite a lesson there for us on that, by the way. In dealing gently with people. The priesthood... We're, 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 we believe in the believer's priesthood. Each believer is a priest before God. We don't have anyone standing on behalf of us. But we still ought to apply this idea of dealing gently with others to our own life, shouldn't we? Here's the reason why I'm sinful. I know what it's like to sin. I know what it's like to be guilty of sinning against another person. I know what it's like to be guilty of unintentional sins and intentional sins against others. So do you. And so if I look at it like this, I'm a sinner, or if someone sins against you, well, you're a sinner as well. If someone sinned against you, someone's sinning against you, and you want to just respond with anger with them, just remember... You're a sinner too. Doesn't that make it easier to just forgive and move on? Doesn't that make it easier to deal gently with others to know, you know what, they've sinned against me, that's not right, but I'm sinful too. It means we don't hold on to the offenses against us so tightly, do we? That person offended me. Well, is there any chance in your life that you might have offended someone too? Is is it possible that you might need to be in need of forgiveness from someone? Well, if the answer is yes, then shouldn't we be quick to forgive? Shouldn't we be quick to deal gently with others? That was a demand of the priesthood. But I say that's a demand upon all of us. But what do we see of Jesus? This cannot be exactly applied to Jesus because Jesus did not restrain himself in that sense. We're actually told this is that he's able to sympathize with us. What Aaron did was Aaron dealt gently. But we're told in the Jesus column of the priesthood is that Jesus is able to sympathize with his people. He's able to deal sympathetically with people because it's not guided by a guilty conscience, but from the place of pure holiness. Jesus isn't obligated to you and I because he himself is a sinful person. He obligates himself to us in forgiveness by offering himself for us. He's able to sympathize with us. It's amazing that God makes a means of forgiveness for sins, for our waywardness, and for our ignorance by sending His Son, isn't it? And that He deals sympathetically with us. Next thing, the final point is this, is that a priest was to be appointed by God. You see this in verse 4. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So, 
Aaron did not nominate himself to the priesthood. God didn't just look out and say, hey, I need a couple of volunteers for this. Is anyone willing? It's not how it happened. In Exodus 28, 1, it says, This, then bring near to you Aaron with your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel. That little word among means this, is Aaron and his sons were specifically chosen to be the representatives of God. And when others would try to assert themselves to this, it did not end well. In fact, there was a group of people that tried to assert themselves to the priesthood. Instead of Aaron, they opposed Aaron. And so God says, bring out the people, the heads of the houses. And Aaron's staff, we remember the story, that it blossoms. And it bore ripe almonds, showing that God had chosen. And those that would try to assert themselves are afflicted by God. You think of the king that tries to go and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people and he's struck with leprosy. God was the one who would choose those that would be priests. They did not get to choose themselves. They could not appoint themselves. And just by the way, in a correlation to that, not the same thing, but that we ought to know this, is no one can self-appoint themselves as a pastor of a church. No one can do that. The church, guided by the Holy Spirit and according to God's word through qualifications, is the one that appoints. And that is God's approval upon that. But no one can just self-nominate themselves for this. And so what do we see is that Aaron was chosen, but look at verse 5. It says this, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, and this is quoting from Psalm 2, 7, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 6, And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Then look at verse 10. This is speaking of Christ, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was himself appointed to this duty. Jesus did was chosen in eternity for this very purpose. Now you come to an interesting introduction here to Melchizedek probably the most mysterious person in all of the Bible, that Jesus is a priest after the line of Melchizedek. Why is that important? Well, Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. But Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. So if Jesus was to have a claim as a priest, he couldn't claim it from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So this is the thing that would be perplexing if we were first century Jews. We trust the Messiah, but you're saying he's a priest, and we see he did all of these priestly things, but he's from Judah, and Judah is not the line of priests. And so then the Scripture tells us this wonderful truth, that he's actually not from the line of Aaron, but he's from the line of Melchizedek. Now, who is this Melchizedek character? We're going to get to know him very well in the coming months, but just as an introduction to him, 
We see this in Genesis 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem. Where is Salem? He's the king of this area called Salem. Well, if you just go over to 2 Samuel for a second, into chapter 5, when David is uniting Israel, the southern and the northern kingdoms, we read these words of David. It says this, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here. But David, says in verse 7, took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. David, as the king, became the heir of all that was Melchizedek's kingdom. And so David was the, uh, the, the king. He takes over the kinghood of Melchizedek and thus becomes the heir of the Melchizedekian line. David also, you will see, functioned in many times as a priest and wasn't chastised for it. And so what does this mean? Is that he who, when the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of woman, according to the flesh, the line of David, Jesus himself then is that high priest, not of the line of Aaron, but of the line of Melchizedek. Jesus then is the priest of the God Most High, just as Melchizedek was. This is why we see this wonderful truth in the text that says this, is that He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. What is that statement is this? Christ is the, alone is the source and the cause of our salvation. Think of John 14, 16, where Jesus says, No one can come to the Father except through me. So our great high priest it offers something that Aaron and his children could never offer. And that is this, eternal salvation. That's our great high priest. You look at the column of the Aaronic priesthood, and then you look at the column with Christ. You see their comparisons, you see their contrast. And what do you see? We have a wonderful high priest. We have a merciful high priest that did things on our behalf that we cannot even comprehend. And so this morning, if you are in Christ, look to your wonderful high priest and be comforted that God loves you. That He sent His Son on your behalf. That the flesh, the struggles of the flesh, Christ endured for you. And so let us respond with joy that He saves 
and that He continues to work in us. Let us respond with love and praise for Him. Let us obey Him as a humble offering that could never merit our salvation. But if you're not in Christ, then you must recognize God requires a blood sacrifice that's presented by a priest. The problem is is that the priesthood doesn't apply to you. And if it did, it wouldn't actually save you. Because it pointed towards Christ. And one day we will all have to stand before this holy God that is a consuming fire. And we will either have our high priest that represents us, who perfectly fulfilled the will of God, or we will have to stand before a holy God representing ourselves. And if it's us representing ourselves, we fall short because we're beset with weakness and sin. We have a great high priest, and he calls you to come to him even now. And he will gladly represent you for all of eternity and mediate on your behalf and fill your heart with joy and assurance that he has you. That's our great high priest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his all-sufficient sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. We thank you for the joy of salvation we may have, and we thank you for his example that he endured the cross with joy. We thank you, Father, that we, knowing our own weakness and our own sin, have one that is without sin that stands on our behalf. Father, may we be comforted by these truths. May we be reminded of these truths as we endure the pains of life. As we feel the physical pains of this life, may we be reminded that this is just but a moment and an eternity waits ahead of us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.